Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and today our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, is going to continue his introduction to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. So grab your copy of God's Word and hop aboard the Bible bus as we set out for Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And while you do that, Greg and I have got a quick update. we got a big milestone to celebrate, don't we? We do, Steve. Just uh, not long ago, we celebrated... Big drum roll, 50 years of broadcasting in Spanish yeah. of Through the Bible. Such a significant ministry yes. for us, a significant language because it was the first. That's right. I mean, if you think of it in terms of children, you got yeah. now over 200, 250 kids. That's, That's right. a lot of kids. <laughs> and that was number one. Um, there was that. Yeah. And it. I also, uh, it's significant because it represented such a pivot. Dr. Yes. McGee was a skeptic and not on board he with this was. whole foreign language thing, yep. and once he saw the success of Through the Bible, the ministry really took a pivot and and focused on the international aspect of it. Yeah, you are absolutely correct in that it, it was historic, not only in being, let's try another language, but it sort of it sort of broke that barrier and got him so excited. You yeah. know, uh, by the end of that decade, so within a seven or eight year period, we were already in 10 languages, and yeah. as I like to remind people... You know, ten, 10 through the Bible languages, each language is about 1,330 minute programs. So you're talking about the production of a 13,000 programs in different languages in just a few years. That's how significant Spanish was to get us started. Yeah. And that ministry, we've re-recorded. Yep. Samuel Montoya yep. is now, there's another voice that yep. we're using. Yeah, that's right. And um, we have a new host, a new and Steve Schwetz. Yes. And yeah, it's, and, and it's still though, one of the most fruitful ministries that that we have and so we just want to stop and give thanks to the lord uh, that that we've celebrated a half a century of bringing the whole word to uh the spanish speaking world yeah why don't we read a quote? I think it's appropriate. As as Dr. McGee's vision really pivoted towards uh, the global outreach, he became, as I said before, the biggest cheerleader. Yes. So here's what he said. When I think about how these practical studies of all of God's word have spread throughout this hemisphere and throughout the world, first in English and now, and at that point, he yes. says, in some 35 languages, I am compelled to conclude that it is the result of the Lord's work and it is wonderful in our eyes. And when I think of all those who have given and provided with such faithfulness and sacrifice to make this possible, I am overwhelmed. Let us praise the Lord together. This is his work, and you are one of his faithful workers who has responded to the words, the field is white for harvest, because we're collaborators and the harvest is good. And as you said, Steve, those words were spoken by Dr. McGee just a few weeks before his passing yeah. in December of 1988. So that's more than 35 years ago. And by God's grace, as you said, we're now in well over 200 languages from 35. I mean, it, this whole, uh, celebration of what God has done just we should just praise him for it and of course we always like to hear what the fruit is of these ministries yeah and as we go in before we do that i mean dr mcgee also mentioned that he's just he was he was really just so touched by the faithfulness and sacrifice of so yes. many people. And we know that that's true today, that people continue to support the ministry. And you're listening, and hopefully your heart is warmed, your spiritual pulse is going a little bit faster <laughs> because of the faithfulness that, that God has shown to us by getting the word out. And you've played a part in that. So so thank you. May God bless you because of the financial commitment that you've made to the ministry and the prayer commitment as well. And if you haven't made that prayer commitment, join the World Prayer Team today. <laughs> Go to ttb.org forward slash pray. 
And that's the closest thing you're going to hear to a pushy ask through the Bible, which is just pray. That's all we need you to do. Okay. Now, we don't have a lot of time, but in line with what you just shared about the long-term support, here is from Pole in Tamaulipas, Mexico. I'm probably butchering that. Forgive me. Here's what this person has to say. When I was a child, my mother listened to Atreves de la Biblia on KBNL in Laredo, Texas. I'm 35 now, and it's amazing that this program has been engraved in my heart. I am from that generation that grew up listening and now love wow. the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart and soul. So encouraging. Yeah. I think Let's try and get one more. Yeah. This is Olga from Argentina. Right now, I listen to the program online. You have always been a blessing to my life. I started listening to Atra Vez de la Biblia in 1979. We tuned in by shortwave direct from Bonaire in the Netherlands in Tilly's. This program was the link that the Lord used to communicate with me and tell me many things among them that he had never abandoned me, nor he never would, despite all my mistakes. That's why I have love for you. May the Lord richly bless Bless you is my fervent prayer. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the way you have been so faithful to us in allowing us to get your word out to the whole world, particularly in Spanish. I pray that you would continue to bless that ministry and that you would bless us now as we turn in our study of Ephesians. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, last time, all I did was put out an introduction to this wonderful epistle to the Ephesians. And I do not regret spending all the time in an introduction because of the fact that this epistle is one of the most important, and we need the background. As I said last time, I had the privilege of visiting Ephesus, and it was, to me, a rich experience this was a glorious city. It was probably the second most important city in the Roman Empire, only second to Rome in influence. It was a city that had a culture that was largely Greek at this particular time that Paul was there. The city was founded probably 2000 B.C. by the Hittites, and it was an Asian city until about a 1,000 B.C., and the Greeks came in. And then you have a mixture of East and West. Actually, Kipling is wrong as far as Ephesus is concerned. He said East is East and West is West, and never the twain shall meet. But they did meet in Ephesus. And over this long period of probably 2,500 years, this city was one of the great cities of the world of cosmopolitan place. It was on a harbor that now is all filled up, silted in, and it's not a harbor anymore. In fact, it's about 10 kilometers, about six miles from the ocean today. But when Paul went there the first time, he sailed right up to that beautiful marble, white marble freeway, if you please, because it was a very wide street and this beautiful Parian marble was everywhere. And the quarries of Mount Prion had supplied the marble. And there was the art and the wealth of the Ephesian citizens. And as a result, they had built there one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which was that vulgar idol of Diana. And it was housed in one of the most beautiful temples ever built. And it was that temple 
that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In it was some of the most wonderful artworks. Uh, Kelly's great picture of Alexander the Great hurling the thunderbolt was in there. It was the largest Greek temple ever built, four times larger than the Parthenon and very similar to it. It was 418 feet long by about 239 feet wide. And the columns, over a hundred of the exterior columns. But inside was this vulgar idol of Diana. It was not the beautiful Diana of Greek mythology, but it was actually the Anatolian conception, the goddess of fertility, not the goddess of the moon, but the goddess of fertility, the many-breasted one, and all sorts of gross immorality took place in the shadow of this temple. This was what Paul had to contend against in the party that was with him. But here the gospel was preached with such great power. And as a result, they had a riot in the city. There were those that led a rebellion against Paul because he was putting them out of the business of making these little idols of Diana. And he was preaching a gospel of the living God, that there was life through Jesus Christ. And the believers that turned, there was a great company of them. I think the gospel was more effective in this area than any place and at any time in the history of the world. And there came into existence this Ephesian church. And that church is the highest church spiritually, I think, of any. The epistle to the Ephesians revealed that. To me, the amazing thing is there were people living in that pagan city who understood this epistle. Paul wouldn't have written it to them if they couldn't have understood it. And not only that, you find that in the seven churches of Asia, the first one is Ephesus. And that is a series of churches that give the entire history of the church. And Ephesus was the church at its best, the highest spiritual level. You and I today can't even conceive of the high spiritual level that the Spirit of God had brought these Ephesian believers where they loved the person of the Lord Jesus, drawn to him. Oh, today in our churches, and now I hope I won't be misunderstood again because I've been a pastor for years. I have a pastor's heart. I love to minister in our churches today. But we're far from the person of Christ. We're so enamored with a program. We're so enamored with an office. We're so enamored with doing some work in the church. And we're far from the person of Christ. The big question would be, how much really do you love him? Paul's going to tell these Ephesians, Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it. Look, do you return that love? Do you respond to him? Can you say to him, I love him because he first loved me? Well, this letter to the Ephesians ought to bring us very close to Christ. Now, as we come here to this first chapter, the church is a body, the body of Christ in the world today. We are going to see in the first two verses an introduction. Then we'll see God the Father plan the church in verses 3 through 6. Remember the Lord Jesus said, A body hast thou prepared me. And he came to this earth yonder at Bethlehem, given a body, grew up yonder in Nazareth, became a carpenter. And Mary's 
husband Joseph taught Jesus to be a carpenter. And then for three years he ministered, finally died on the cross, shed his blood for you and me. And then we have, in verses 7 through 12, God the Son paid the price for the church. We have redemption through his blood. And then God the Holy Spirit protects the church. Verses 13 through 14, by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Then you have prayer for knowledge and power, and we need that prayer as we come to this epistle today, and let us pray. Lord, we do pray you'll make real and living this epistle to our hearts, for we pray in Jesus' name. Now, here in the introduction, as we come, we have the heavenly calling of the church, the vocalization, and we have here the church as a body. And I read the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints that are at Ephesus, even to the believers in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you probably, as you followed the text, and I do hope that you have your Bible. Some of you are listening to us today at work. Some of you are riding along the highway. But for goodness sakes, don't try to read it while you're driving. But pull over to the side and just turn there to this text. And you'll find it indeed very helpful. Now, as you follow along, you'll notice I changed some things. And this is, first of all, a brief introduction. And it's brief for several reasons. It's brief because, very frankly, this epistle was directed to the church in Ephesus. But in some of the better manuscripts, an Epheso is left out. It's not there. Which just simply means this, that it was apparently the epistle that Paul referred to when he said in Colossians to read the epistle to the Laodiceans. In other words, this was a circular letter that went around. And I think it was primarily for the church, of course, in Ephesus, but for the churches in that day. And he's not writing here to the local church as much as he is to the church in general. That is the invisible body of believers. We're going to see that Paul, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I'd like to change that just a little. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Why do I say that? And I hope you'll not think I'm splitting hairs here, but he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, all the way through this epistle and many other places, it should be Christ Jesus. Christ is the title, of course. That's who he is. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus was his human name. Paul could say that we know him no longer after the flesh. Paul didn't know him, the Jesus of the three years' ministry. He says, I met him on the Damascus Road, and he was the glorified Christ. I know him as the glorified Christ. And he emphasized always the name Christ first, Christ Jesus. But he says, I am an apostle. Now, what is an apostle? Well, that's the highest office the church has ever had. No one today is an apostle in the church for the simple reason 
They can't even meet the requirements. To begin with, the apostles received their commission directly from the living lips of Jesus. You will find Paul made that claim. He said, I'm an apostle, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And I'm an apostle that's been made an apostle directly by Jesus Christ. And that's the reason that I believe Paul took the place of Judas and not Mattathias. They voted Mattathias in. I don't find anywhere Jesus Christ making him an apostle. All the apostles apparently received their commission directly from the living lips of the Lord Jesus. Now, the second requirement for an apostle was the apostle saw the Savior after his resurrection. Paul could meet that requirement, as you know. And then the third requirement of an apostle was they exercised a special inspiration. They expounded and wrote Scripture. And certainly Paul measures up to that more than any other. And then the fourth, they exercised supreme authority. The Lord Jesus said actually to them, all power is given unto you. And the badge of their authority was the power to work miracles. And miracles, I think, ceased with the apostles because that was their badge in that day. And John could say before he finished his long ministry, probably at the close of the first century, he could say, if any come to you not having this doctrine, no longer a miracle worker, but not having this doctrine. The doctrine's important today. And then they were given a universal commission to found churches. These are six requirements that an apostle must meet. And Paul certainly met that. Then he says here that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul rested his apostleship upon the will of God rather than any personal ambition or on man or whether the church made him an apostle, but he's an apostle by the will of God. Over in Galatians, the first chapter, verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. So that Paul says, I'm this kind of an apostle. That is, by the will of God. And he said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, Paul made constant reference to the will of God as the foundation of his apostleship. You'd like to check that. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Colossians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. In all of these places, Paul says he's an apostle by the will of God. Now he says to the saints in Ephesus, the word for saint is hagios. It actually means separated or set aside for the sole use of God, that is, that which belongs to God. For instance, the pots and pans in the tabernacle and later on in the temple, they were called holy vessels. Why? Because they were 
specially holy, very fine and nice. No, I think they were all beat up and battered after that long wilderness journey, but they were for the use of God. And my friend, a saint is one who's trusted Christ. In fact, there are only two kinds of people today, the saints and the ain'ts. And if you're not a saint, you're an ain't. And if you ain't an ain't, then you're a saint, you see. So that a saint is one who's trusted Christ and he's set aside for the sole use of God. Now, there's some of the saints not being used of God, of course, but that's their fault. They are for the use of God and therefore his service. Therefore, saints should act saintly. It's true, but they're not saints because of the way they act. They're saints because of their position in Christ, and they belong to him to be used of him. Then he says in Ephesus, and I've already referred to that, it could be in your town, whatever the name of it is. For me, it could be in Pasadena. And he says, even to the believers. Now, the believers and saints are the same, you see. They are the same people. A saint should be saintly, and a believer should be faithful. But a believer is one who's trusted Christ, and a saint is the same one. Now, the term saint, I think, is the Godward aspect of the Christian. The term believer is the manward aspect of the believer. Now, they're in Christ Jesus, and this is probably the most wonderful thing of all. And this epistle is going to amplify that so much that I will be dwelling on that in more detail later on. But... To me, the most important word in the New Testament is the little preposition in, in. Theologians have come up with some lulus trying to tell us what it means to be saved. How do you define our salvation? Well, they've come up with the word redemption, atonement, justification, reconciliation, propitiation, and vicarious substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. And all of those are good. I'm not finding fault with them. I think they're wonderful. But each one of them merely gives one aspect of our salvation. What does it really mean to be saved? To be saved means to be in Christ. We are irrevocably and organically joined to Christ by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're put in the body of believers. And we're told, He that's joined unto the Lord is one Spirit. We belong to Him. And there's nothing as wonderful, therefore, as that. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Can you improve on that? We're in Christ Jesus. That's the great accomplishment of salvation. Dr. Chafer found that it occurred 130 times in the New Testament. How wonderful it is. The Lord Jesus used it. He says, ye in me and I in you. And we're in Christ. Now, the bird is in the air, but the air is in the bird. The Lord Jesus said, ye in me and I in you. I can't explain that. It's so profound. But the fish is in the water, and the water is in the fish. The iron is in the fire, and the fire is in the iron. And the believer is in Christ, and Christ is in the believer. We're joined to him. The head is in the body. The body is in the head. My body can't move without the head directing it. Now, the church, which is his body, is in Christ the head, 
And all the truths of this epistle of Ephesians revolve around this great fact. Now he begins with his salutation. It's very brief. The reason I think is obvious that he couldn't include all the believers. He knew too many of them there. And to begin with, if it was to go to other churches, he just wouldn't want to mention the ones in Ephesus. So he makes his introduction very brief here. And next time we'll see that. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to close today on that note. May the grace of God and the peace of God be with you today and forever for that matter. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Learn more about what it means to be in Christ at our website, ttb.org, when you click on How Can I Know God? Or you can always call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll send you a couple of resources by mail. 1-800-65-BIBLE is also the number to call if you have questions about this fruitful ministry. We're going to dive deeper into Ephesians next time. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, I'll meet you then. So God bless you today as you walk with Him in His Word. grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.